Today's episode of Shootcast is brought to you by Modus Operandi Brewing. Based in Monavale on Sydney's northern beaches, they're one of Australia's leading craft beers. Be sure to check them out online and get your order in. Today on the podcast, I'll be joined by Robert Taylor, who has been the head coach of Sydney University for the past two seasons. He's had some amazing success with the students, and I know he'll offer some great insights into their program and some of his worldly experiences in his coaching journey thus far. Thanks for tuning in. Welcome to Shootcast. So welcome to episode four of Shootcast. Joining me on the line is former Sydney Uni rugby head coach, Robert Taylor. Robert, thanks for joining the program. Yeah, pleasure to join. Mate, I appreciate you jumping on. I wanted to get you uh, on here before you, you head offshore. Congratulations on your appointment at Leicester Tigers. Must be uh, a real thrill for you at the moment. Yeah, very excited to get an opportunity to join, obviously, one of the biggest clubs in the world and one of the toughest competitions in the world as well. Yeah. Um, you know, lots of exciting opportunities, but going to be some big challenges as well that no doubt I'll learn a lot from and be able to take forward uh, with me over hopefully a long career. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. So I had the opportunity just um, popped up quite recently. I, I, I gather you were still all, all guns blazing for, for a year ahead at Sydney Uni. Has this come up quite quickly or um, something that's been building for a while? Uh, it's been building for a couple of months prior. Um, yeah, I mean, two months sort of prior to getting the official notice. Um, but, yeah, it was certainly at the start of the year in January. I was very excited about another Shoot Shield season. Uh, then sort of got a phone call in February and the conversations started started from there. So it's been a long process. I was actually supposed to go over there for an interview, but that's basically when everything stopped. Uh, yeah. But the, the silver lining around that is we've, we've sort of just extended – the the time to talk and flesh out you know obviously I want to go up there and um, not have any surprises from from my side in terms of what I really would like to do um, yep. I mean being locked up gave me a chance to watch a lot of footy so I got a I, I came away with some sort of clear pictures of maybe things I could implement at the Tigers and so we're able to talk about those over an extended period of time which uh, you know, I'm sure from their side gives them a lot of confidence that they've got the right person um, and that sort of gives me confidence to be able to go up there and do the best I can. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I guess um, you're so right. I mean, the uh, the pandemic's really thrown out everything and, uh, you know, obviously getting great news, but then that sort of starts to happen. So it's just been such a strange time, hasn't it? I mean, uh, you obviously must be still talking to the guys that, yeah, uni. How are they getting through all these uh, difficult circumstances at the moment? I mean, everybody was affected greatly, and God, what was it now? Mid March, roughly. Yeah, yeah. Um, we're just we'd taken uh, about fifty players to New Zealand on a well, sort of becoming an annual trip where we play the Crusaders and Highlander development teams, mm-hmm. and then we had the Australian Club Championship. So we were in a very strong mindset to, for around. Round one's creeping up and can't wait, and 
Yeah. Think, and then there yeah, the lights went out. Um, so you, I think everybody was quite lost there for the first few weeks of how long is this going to last for, and yeah, um, was there even going to be a competition this year? And I guess it's, the the numbers have improved. It's given people a little bit of hope and going. Oh, there is going to be rugby again. There is going to be a shoot shield again. And now that we're able to start to train in groups of ten starting to some normality starting to come back but yeah it was certainly a, a bumpy road or well no clear direction in those first four weeks and that was very hard to just sort of keep people focused you might say yeah, yeah. Um, but the excitement starting to return which is a really good feeling yeah I think since they announced a potential start date everyone started to, to get excited we certainly I think most of the competition had a pit in their stomach in that first trial weekend that might be the only footy we're going to see all year, but thankfully oh, yeah. looking like it hopefully won't be the case. But just backpedalling because um, obviously coaches that come into the shoot shield generally come into that first grade setup quite quickly and even if uh, you're coming from the outside and you, you're sort of brought up to speed on who, who people are, but you came into uni um, and obviously put in big groundwork through the Colts program, so more broadly sort of weren't known maybe in the wider Shoot Shield community um, that quickly, but obviously got straight into things at uni for the last couple of seasons. But just a bit about your, your background. So you were- oh, born in Auckland. Uh, yeah, played played club rugby, school system and age grade systems and bits and pieces and yeah. had a very serious injury, dislocation, ankle, you know, just the works. Uh, yeah. And that, that guided me pretty quickly into coaching, loving the game. You know, while I wasn't able to sort of play for 16 months, so I wanted to stay connected. And uh, and actually, it always, for some reason, um, you know, had a lot of admiration for good coaches. Um, you know, just looking at the coach at that time around in New Zealand or um, anywhere in the world, really, uh, the sort of was really fascinated by, you know, how they put teams together and how they have having so much success. Mm. So having that injury sort of uh, sparked that enthusiasm and um, sort of jumping further down the track, I went and worked in the UK after sort of finishing studying and uh, came back to New Zealand to play some more club rugby. And from there, I actually picked up a role working for the Scottish Rugby Union, uh, looking after some of their top players that were coming down to New Zealand and um that led into a director of rugby role at Auckland University Club where I was playing as well. And that was a full-time role in that, in that environment. And I did that for about five five years. And um, uh, that included some coaching and, and um, sort of big picture work at the same time. Uh, uh, so I did – I went sort of through the system as well at Auckland University coaching Colts and we won that and coaching second grade and then coaching first or the equivalent of first grade, they call it premier rugby there, uh, 214 and 215. And uh, funny enough, I think the summer 214, I was actually over here and did some coaching at Sydney Uni in the summertime, just the university sort of network across the globe sort of allowed that to happen and struck up a relationship there with Nobby and um, to some extent Karts. Um, You know, he's always got another bloody Kiwi around rugby, but uh, (laughs) I think think, um, 
the sort of sessions I did had plenty of hard work for the guys, so he's, he's, he, he, he might have thought I was all right. Yeah, um, yeah. Yeah, and we just kept in contact and the opportunity opened up to come over and join in 216. Um, I think the, the club, the students were going through a bit of a change then and um, I was sort of initially talking about coming into first grade and that's what I'd been coaching in Auckland and done potential B level and, and bits and pieces. So, But it, it turned out to be Colts and I, I wasn't actually that too fussed because it was a completely new environment and I knew sure. at least it would allow me to build relationships with players that hopefully would come through one day. I didn't sort of expect two years in the Colts, but yeah. the first grade made that grand final that year. It was a bit hard to to move on that coaching group. So did another year, but it, it seemed to work out really well. And, you know, I look at guys like Paulie and you know, other guys that might have recently gone through Colts into grade. It certainly helps you hugely. Uh, yeah. Totally different task to come over from New Zealand straight into first grade and try and win the hearts and minds of the entire club. Um, yeah. Possible, but yeah, harder. Yeah, absolutely. So you've had a, a lot of experience working in and around rugby programs and understanding how they tick. Obviously, universities longstanding had a had a very very strong rugby program. Um, how impressed were you when you when you hit the ground running with there? And you know what were some of the observations? Because uh, we'll get on to some of your own success there, but already a, a, a very well established program. Yeah, well, again, being part of a university club in New Zealand. Yep. And Auckland University's got a great tradition and history and people and bits and pieces, but they certainly haven't been as dominant as Sydney University. So it's quite natural to look across to the ditch and go, what are those guys doing so well? So that that was sort of one of the trips coming over and starting to look behind the scenes and they were very willing to sort of share and be open. And obviously you pick up straight away the resources and the facilities and uh, you know, that initially is quite easy to see that uh, it feels very professional, um, particularly in comparison to New Zealand club rugby, uh, which is still basically, if you're lucky, one or two, if two, full-time employees. Mm-hmm. Um, so to come over and, you know, see the background, uh, back room of what what's helping the success happen was quite easy to see, um, you know, you're going to be able to, create an environment that's going to really push the players. So coming over and and that's sort of why I was quite uh, happy to do the Colts because, um, you know, saw it up as a step up uh, from what I'd experienced in club or, I mean, even Mitre Cup in New Zealand, the, the budgets are pretty tight and they make the most of what they've got to do. So yeah, sort of say to people that the Shoot Shield as an overarching um program and comp is sort of nearly like a poor man's mitre cup to an extent yeah. we just train in the evenings essentially um but yeah to, to come into the program and have a, a few more toys and resources was really attractive and i, I thought this thing i was talking to someone else the other day <clears throat> i mean the other things that stood out to me was the work ethic carts and davo and the like really drove in the program and then You've also got so many willing players to do it, and you know that that immediately. I didn't quite see that when I came over and sort of the the shorter trips, but coming over and seeing, be, becoming part of it, uh, 
I learned a lot and opened my eyes to what like what is possible. Um, yep. Yeah, that that those seeds had obviously been well sown, you know, 10, 15 years before that. Um, but yeah, that had a that had a big influence on me and the way I coach to to, to today um, was those first few months joining the program and seeing Karts and Davo, how they operated the program. Yeah, I guess from the um, broader shoot shield perspective, you haven't played at uni. It's sort of a bit of an unknown, that that world over there at Camperdown. It's a bit like the Willy Wonka's Chocolate Factory. Nobody ever goes in, nobody ever comes out type thing, and there's been just so much success come out of it. But I'm sure if you, you peered over the fence, um, it's, it's, it's obviously had that uh, grounding of people like Tim and, and Tom have just driven such a hard um, – hard culture about obviously just putting in 110% and it's yielded in so much success. But, uh, mate, you've come in pretty well yourself. You, you came into the Colts program and you didn't lose a game for two years. That was a good start. Yeah. it's. Um, I remember game one actually was at Eastwood, T.G. Milner at Colts. I had no idea what to expect and was just um, felt like more of a tourist of like, oh, great, going to, you know, <laughs> and heard of Eastwood Club. Like it was sort of mm. – Every week was a, a journey to a new rugby destination and love going to clubs and seeing different personalities and cultures. So, But I, the third, third Colts lost, second Colts lost, and I was like, geez, it's not a great okay. Pressure. First Colts <laughs> found a way to win. Um, yeah. And it was like, okay, well, now I know and uh, we'll, we'll, we'll start to ramp things up from here. But, um, yeah, great, great time and... A um, few bumps. Well, I remember we had a very close game against Manly up at Paul's College, actually. Um, always very competitive games, those Sydney Uni Colts games with Manly. Yeah. Uh, on reflection. and um, But, yeah, a few few bumps and lows. I mean, that grand final in 2016, I feel, I feel for the Norse guys because I know they um, put so much into that season and they you know, created a really good team and uh, to lose it an extra time. Um, must have hurt greatly given how much they put into it. But for us, you know, it was a very uh, joyful moment. But, um, yeah, the Colts was a great experience. And it's, you know, I, I, the one thing I loved, I loved about the Colts, again, something that I really picked up uh, coming to the Shoot Shield and uh, maybe Sydney University as well, um, was how everyone worked together. So you got three Colts teams, but it is one group and we train as much as we can as a group. We identify ourselves as a group. It's not, um, God, I haven't talked, spoken to a third Colt for three months or over there in the corner with two rugby balls and two cones. Yeah. Um, that's one thing I learned, you know, I, I had to learn about that, and but I really um, enjoyed it, uh, even though you're working with a lot more numbers. You know, on a on a shoot shield level, I really like the togetherness of the competition. Um, you know, particularly Super Saturdays, you got the whole club together. And if it's not a Super Saturday, you know, you got all four grade teams together and Colts teams, and that's been sort of diluted quite a bit in New Zealand with different comps and structures. That sometimes you're going to a ground just on your own uh, yeah. team and. But that, that that community feeling at training and and on game day um, really expands the the people that you get to meet and build friendships with and um, yeah I re- really 
really sort of leave um, uh, with fond memories of of that structure that builds a community. I hope hope uh, to replicate that to some extent uh, at Leicester next place. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's great to hear that. That graded system is something that's very unique to Sydney and uh, I know there's been some recent discussion about potentially trying to put the shoot shield into a higher level depending on what happens in professional space in Australia in the next uh, few years. Obviously, it's a very interesting time at the moment, but potentially doing away with some of those lower grades, but it seems like you're a big advocate for uh, the inclusiveness of it and the feeling of the, of the whole club, which is which is great to hear. So basically from that, that cult success, you... Um, appointed the first grade coach and uh, you brought in a lot of those Colts players straight into first grade and uh, you, you must have had um, a lot of confidence in, in the players that you, you brought in and probably an eye on cohesion at the same time. Yeah, cohesion certainly played a, a big role. You know, it was an interesting time for Sydney Uni after not making finals mm. and also sort of the clock was ticking as well from the last premiership in 2013. Yep. And, you know, with Davo and Karts moving on, you know, after their, you know, massive legacy and input, uh, it was a, it was, um, a fresh start to, to some extent. Um, but, I mean, ultimately, uh, we were going to pick a team that no matter where you're coming from, whether you played fourth grade the year before or you played Colts, we, our, our priority was to pick the best 23 that um, that could win, and I guess th- those Colts probably had a head start because they knew how Joe Hornsmith and I liked to play. Yep, and it was quite different. It was a totally different playing style that the first grade team, and and to, obviously I don't really know, but a lot of people would say it's, it was quite different to University of Old. Definitely, uh, yeah. Uh, sure. So those players, and instantly, and I remember you know, the Stu Dunbars and other players that had uh, played key parts in, in previous campaigns were sort of scratching their head and trying to come up, get up to speed. Yeah. And these Colts sort of, you know, I, I could speak to them straight away and they know what I mean and uh, mm. what I'm trying to get across. So, and 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 it's sort of, you know, like a Stu Dunbar example, he ended up playing the grand final. So some of those guys, it just took them a little while to catch up and really push for a start position. Um, but yeah, we were we were really confident that the playing style and the group that we have, uh, we, we got quite we, we no disrespect, but we had uh, I think Parramatta round one and then Penrith, so it was like well, <laughs> if we soft start, yeah, some guys some exposure. Let's yeah. let's do it now. Um, but on the flip side to that, there were a lot of young backs, but there were some really experienced forwards. So I'd rather do it that way. Um, a young forward pack and experienced back. So we were able to give those backs some breathing space by the platform the forwards were creating. Uh, yeah. But, yeah. Well, just going back on that um, playing style because it's something that was very noticeable for me. I mean, uh, probably a view around the shoot shield if we could be so bold as to say when, when you could match uni up front and stop that go forward in the past that, that, that there was – sometimes not really a plan B in some years. I mean, it's really bold of me to say these things given how much success they'd had, but there was a theory there that other clubs might have had. But certainly the last couple of years um, under your sort of uh, coaching, that seems like the university style of play has really evolved and uh, 
they just, uh, especially in 2018, played a, a real counter-attacking style, like attack without the ball, very strong set piece, and a counter-attacking tries were, were quite the norm, and, a, and an offload game that sort of just came out of nowhere. And it was very similar watching New Zealand-style sort of super rugby. Was was that maybe some of the influence coming through there, or or how do you, how do you sort of define that the new evolution of, of uni style? Yeah, certainly had a, obviously a New Zealand influence, but also had a very strong Northern Hemisphere influence in it too as well. Obviously, yep. the set piece um, and Joe Warren Smith, my assistant coach, he's from the UK. So I think we struck a really good balance and I have a lot of respect for the Northern Hemisphere rugby and certain aspects and we certainly stole a lot and were inspired by a lot uh, what we thought would um, create a point of difference in the shoot shield. I mean... We're, we're I, I'm pretty sure we've been the biggest kicking team the last two yeah. years as well. So yeah, definitely. Um, um, so that you know that, that that sort of northern hemisphere, you might might say. But even again, like a lot of people forget, the All Blacks are one of the biggest kicking teams in the world. Yeah. Um, yeah. And compare particularly in comparison to the Wallabies, um, miles apart in terms of kick strategy and the volume of kicking types of kicks. So. But I think I think what sort of gelled that all together was letting the boys play the space that they saw. Uh, um, where I, I found also in general, a lot of the schoolboys come out of very rigid playing styles and structures, and that was sort of the process going through the cults of, um, oh, why don't we score now, guys? Our first phase, and they're yeah. like. What do you mean by that? We've got to set a target and then we've got to get – I've got to get in my role on that third phase and we're going to come back on the fourth and then we're going to make a line – it's like, mate, that, the game was invent, – they invented scrums and lineouts to score first phase. So why, <laughs> why, why wouldn't we um, be focused yeah. on that? Uh, yeah. So I think I think um, it was more – bit robotic, was it? Like some of those yeah. systems you would have said? Yeah. Yeah, and I think if you've – you know, the um, – um, I, I guess you know that was always there, I, I, and, and to an extent, I probably put more of a light on it. Um, yeah, really backed them, and again, I, had, I built up a lot of trust with a lot of those players um, because you know the, the thing is when you go away from structure, uh, there are going to be a lot of mistakes, um, but you got to make sure that they are learning opportunities and. Yeah, there are those games where nothing's going to go right, but you've got to make sure that that's a good learning opportunity. And one thing that helped us a lot in Colts was we're able to learn and lose at the same time. I mean, learn and win at yeah. the same time. Like those games, those tough games that we'd have, um, it might be because we've been trying something new, uh, but we've still found a way to win. But we've found some, we've learned some lessons of like when is it on or when is, isn't it on, you know, in terms of maybe an offload or type of kick or um, a running uh, decisions. So, um, so it's not yeah. a prescriptive style of playing. It's more just doing the basics well, and, and and obviously playing playing smart football. I mean, your back three, particularly Kane, were very very good open field kickers in the last couple of years, and obviously you seem to squeeze. Like you say, you, you were a, a, uh, you kicked a lot, um, and, and opportunities seemed to arise from that. I guess with your physicality at the breakdown and things like that, but it. Um, yeah, it was just just interesting to see that evolution of of the style. So uh, it's interesting to hear that, you know, that's no real sort of set madness to it. It's just doing the basics well. Would you say? Yeah, absolutely. Um, if you do the basics well, it gives you options. Yeah. 
And, you know, that should be the, well, my opinion, you know, that should be the starting point, not um, your roles, you know, in terms of some sort of framework and that. But you need you need um, a framework or shape or whatever you call it or a system, depending who you are as a coach. But um, you've got to set one or the other before the other, you know. Um, and for me, it's get the basics right because that will give us options. Uh, if we unkick pass better, um, you know, then throw that into a framework. Framework's plan B, mm. not not the other way around. I think we did it really well in 218. Was uh, if we got into the opposition 22, we're able to um, grind them down. Maybe that's a bit of a bit of old Sydney Uni there as well. Yeah, use our forwards and. Um, you know, have that patience, and there was a couple of good, good tries in two eighteen grand final where yep. get into the ringer twenty two, and uh, yeah, we had the profile of forwards that were able to generate some sort of go forward, and you know, you got Jake Gordon sniping around that. You know, he's just waiting for any sort of chance to pop up. Yep. So we had a profile that sort of allowed us to have that quite um, uh, deliberate, quite direct um, approach. Um, sort of, you know, as people would have seen, and as you've picked up outside of that area, you know, we're, we're playing, we're playing the space in front of us, or if it's in behind, and then, mm. but if we had slow ball, uh, we built up a really uh, clear game plan in, inside the opposition twenty-two that really utilised those forwards. Yeah, absolutely, and. Obviously, um, twenty eighteen was a, a very successful year. Obviously, um, taking out the competition in grand fashion against Ringer at North Sydney Oval must have been a uh, probably probably one of the highlights of your your tenure at university. Grand final day, two thousand eighteen. Yeah, it was it was just a privilege to be in a shoot shield grand final at North Sydney Oval, uh, sold out. Um, you know, I knew what the shoot shield was before coming over, and and it it, it is a competition that um, you know people outside of Australia really respect, and you know it's to to be able to just even be a part of it and be contributing it at first grade to then you know hold up the shield at North Sydney Oval um, was a was a really magical moment. Um, but yeah, that was. That was certainly a day won't won't forget. Um, but yeah, I remember sitting, remember going to the the previous, you know, the Ringer, the Ringer North final. Yeah. For sunny day. Yeah. Act because our second grade were playing in that uh, prior to that, and you, you know that I guess you know, for I, I guess for a lot of people, you're like, well, I want to come back here one day and yeah. be part of a grand final. This is just amazing. Yeah. Uh, so that that really planted some seeds to to do the work to hopefully get there and to get there and do it um, was was really special. Yeah, it really has been the catalyst for for a lot of clubs. I guess a lot of clubs were enjoying dancing in the sun while university were having a bit of a slumber. But you've uh, <laughs> you've awo- you've awoken the beast. And do, do you do you sense that? Obviously, obviously, universities had such uh, success across the board and. Um, you know, other clubs like to to get to stick the boot in, and the anyone yeah. but uni, anyone but uni attitude, and it was it was 
um, awesome to see the the uni lower graders and fans with the anyone but uni uh, slogan up on the uh, grandstand and just embracing the hate. But uh, I guess it's it's great for the competition in in any case. Yeah, it was quite. Um, took a while to get used to like coming in and uh, going around various grounds, particularly at Colts level and the abuse. I've not, never seen. A rugby, <laughs> like that doesn't matter what derby you have. Uh, in New Zealand, maybe Canterbury, Canterbury Auckland, uh, but God, I'd never, I'd never faced so much abuse from <laughs> old yeah. ladies and oh, bits dear. and pieces. So it took a while <laughs> to get used to. Well, uh, welcoming Sydney Club Rugby soon, mate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, 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 hopefully it's um, given me a bit of a heart and shell for what may be coming in the future. But um, yeah, it was, a, it was a new experience, but. As as you get on, and I, I, it was as sort of the anyone but uni, is you, you turn it into your face and, and for your own. For, I know yeah. everyone should just shut up. Yeah, well, it's um, it's reality, isn't it? And if you've been at Sydney or any other club, you you, you get to learn like things ain't going to change. So let's, yeah. let's just embrace it, no matter who what club you're at in terms of who your biggest rivalry is. But yeah. I, I really enjoyed the Eastwood games. Um, yeah. so it's the hatred is dripping off the <laughs> ceiling. <laughs> yeah, but that that just that's, that's, that's great. Um, the beauty of the club footy and then going to Manly yeah. Oak or you know up to Rat Park. It's yeah. you, you are in for a genuine battle with Sydney Union. I guess that's maybe talked about internally, but we have to play a grand final every Saturday. Of course. Yep. Um, and then people go, why is Sydney Uni so good in finals? Because we've played 20 of them before. Yeah, um, exactly. It's, it's the ultimate test, right? Like I remember playing reserve grade for Manly at Manly Open. We ended up winning ones, twos and ones Colts. It was, apart from grand final wins, it's probably the best days of your career, you know? So that's what you guys are up against every week when you come into town. Every week. Yeah. Um, no matter who. And, uh, yeah, it's, it makes it tough, uh, but – it certainly helps you, you know, I, I reflect on you know, even like the Colts final and extra time or last year's shoot your grand final. Our, our players are so used to being squeezed. So yeah, that we, we were very calm um, in that grand final 219. There was, mm. there was no surprises of the ability to come back. Um, and I'm, and even the commentators, and I'm sure it was probably in the players' heads for Ringer that uni's going to come back at us soon. And I guess that that's a good place to be um, as as a group of players and as a, as a club. Yeah, you could you could sense it was coming. It was um, it was definitely late in the piece, though, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, <but laughs> you must have been sweating there for a while. Yeah, it was a, I was yeah, be, I was. Talking with Joe, going, oh, we're leaving this a little bit late, and even after half time, we're yeah. clear. It was very simple messages at half time of mm. what we needed to do, but we still didn't do them. But um, we were like, the players must know something we don't know. But it'll be nice if they sort of score quite quickly. Yeah, I'm sure. I mean, they're always um, generally fitter, faster, stronger. But I, I did feel that game changed very much so with the introduction of Nick Phipps. Yeah, I think it, yeah, Fang certainly um, kept the ball moving, and as again, his experience um, obviously not only just, sh- just shone through finals, didn't it? but uh, yeah. But I, 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 talking of um, 
Mark Gerard as well. We um, they probably went away from their game plan a bit, Ringer too, and yeah. having a lot of success with it. And we were doing everything possible to make it even better. Yeah. Um, and I, I, I remember it was sort of one really defining kick by James Kane actually that sort of set a line out in their 22, but um, Ringer started to go away. And we, after that first small try, mm. um, they kicked off and we box kicked back and they were running with the ball around their halfway line and we turned it over and scored off that turnover. So we went two tries back to back. If on reflection, if they had kept up their kicking game, um, I think could have been a lot harder to to go the length of the field. So I, I, I know it must be a painful uh, memory, but I was talking to Mark after the game, and that was the sort of first thing that stuck out in his head. And then, yeah, watching the game back, you'd like, yeah, they went away from what was causing us a lot of issues and that was at contestable kicks and hitting cont- yeah. contest at the breakdown and yeah. you know we would try and run in our own half and get isolated and they'd flood mm. in the breakdown but also I think the other part to it was that game plan that they had that burns your energy you know to yeah. um, and there were some tired bodies that had had started the game with a flash um, and obviously you know, you need to be super fit to keep that up and you need a good bench to be able to keep that up. But I think they sort of helped us a little bit there in the end. Yeah, yeah, certainly um, came in over the top again and uh, just a real strong belief, obviously, that it, that exists in the side to, to, to get it done. And I think uni, Uni's always had that, the amount of times they've snatched uh, victory from the jaws of defeat, you know, for many, many years is, is probably something that, that runs through with the club and and its, and its culture. Is that I mean the university sort of culture? It's 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 all about winning. Is is that the big thing, or is it what's sort of the you know obviously it demands a high performance, demands a real sort of excellence. It's successes come by and large. But how, how would you define the the uh, Sydney University culture from from the outside from to the to people from the outside? Well, I think the great thing about university rugby is that globally it's very similar. Yeah. Um, and that's the one thing, a nice thing about being part of a, a network of clubs, that you've got a club basically in every country in the world. There's, there's basically a university rugby club, every rugby playing country, and probably even some of the, the, the uh, you know, the, the smaller countries is probably usually, you know, like Portugal, rugby's big in the universities more than the communities. So, yeah. Um, but you'll step into any of those university clubs and they're very similar. Um, some are better than others, obviously, and some have more prestige than others. Um, but coming from Auckland University and Sydney University as sort of being seen as an outsider, actually wasn't really an outsider because I knew the types of players that are usually at university clubs. Mm. I see the student history and legacy of you know actual students being at the club um they bring their own sort of quirkiness and diversity um but what what i sort of say to people around sort of university club sort of the key things is that um i usually find people with pretty aspirational people join university clubs whether they're studying or whether they're even 
um, doing an apprenticeship to be a builder. They're usually trying to be the best builder they can be or they're trying to be um, uh, the best surgeon or, you know, a banker, you know, you name it. I usually find they're pretty aspirational people. So that comes, they usually come with pretty good work ethic. Yeah. Um, and obviously that helps to, to from a coaching perspective, you've got people coming that desire. I, I think also um, you have a good diversity in personalities, particularly again from the studying side of things. You know, someone studying one thing, um, you know, whether that's is, um, psychology to studying something else, they can be very different people. So, sure. Diversity brings a lot of unique characters. So it's, I always say, you know, university club, usually pretty aspirational people, lots of diversity that mm. laugh at a lot of people and they generally can laugh at themselves. Um, um, but I think, I think you know, where Sydney Uni have harnessed um, that, I mean, you've got to win first, but if you're attracting aspirational people to the club alone and then you have a lot of success, you generally get an even higher level of aspirational people wanting to join the club. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, you know, you, you, that's where, like, you look at Sydney any third colts and fourth graders. Um, mate, th- th- those guys still train like they want to make their wallabies and believe mm-hmm. they can. Um, you know, there isn't a big drop-off in terms of mindset from a first grader to a fourth grader or a first colt to a third colt. So Yeah, yeah. Oh, and, and I think that's and that's not saying aspirational people aren't at other clubs or anything. It's just mm. there seems to, you know, and a lot of people go on and do things outside of rugby from university clubs, and I guess that really enriches the clubs itself. But, yeah, you throw the Sydney University success on top of that, mm. it, it certainly makes it attractive for these aspirational people. And aspirational people usually want to win. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I they, think- um yeah, so just, just going, sort of going. feeds the engine. If you look at your uh, snapshot of your uh, time at university, you can't can't deny how successful it's been. You played eighty four games, you won seventy five, lost nine, an eighty nine point three percent win ratio. You must be pretty proud of that. Yeah, very very proud, and uh, it's gone by like a flash. Really, when sort of looking back on it, uh, mm. pretty slow at the time. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, oh, I I I've really enjoyed the shoot shield and going out to the community clubs and would more enjoy it going back there and just having a beer than being at uh, some of those grounds and you know you're trying to win against the against the whole crowd and community. But uh, I I certainly um, relish the opportunity to come back and be involved in the shoot shield as. Support, or I mean, obviously, I'll be talking it up as well a lot. Of leaving yeah. a fan of the competition and the Colts programs, so I just hope they don't tinker with it. I think the great competitions in the world, you just leave, yeah. and there's always going to be problems, no matter what rugby competition in the world. There's always going to be weaker teams. There's always going to be problems. Mm. Best thing that you can do, and I think it's been shown, particularly like you look at the English Premier League and stuff. Don't tinker with what works. Uh, obviously, you want to help improve the clubs that are struggling and uh, bits and pieces. Or you know, work work out those solutions. But the Shoot Shield's got great history. It's got a great brand. 
don't need don't need to suddenly turn it into something else because where do you go from that? Like you change it and then you have to go back and then mm. people confused. I mean, just look at Super Rugby, the amount of times that's changed. No one knows really who's playing who and what and why. Shoot, yeah. it's the beauty of it is what it is today. And so yeah, uh, I'm I hope it's still the same when I come back. Yeah, I'm really sceptical about what it potentially could be. I, I I don't want it to potentially have to come to the rescue of the professional space, but at the same time, it, the professional model is not, not really working at the moment. Um, you, your sort of views on sort of super rugby, um, and you ever, I'm obviously a rugby guy. You still have a strong interest in watching super rugby? Yeah, I, I, I get super rugby in terms of, I, I think I think <laughs> without being too opinionated in an area that I'm not um, responsible for because it's easy to yeah. poke it from the side, but I think for Australian rugby and like the models in Ireland or New Zealand, the first question is I think you've got to ask um, is what's going to make the Wallabies strong? Yeah. What, and and winning solves a lot of things. Oh, <laughs> absolutely. Know? Yeah. Um, and I, I grew up a lot when the Wallabies were the best team in the world and really admired, admired and um, got interested in who the players were in the team and um, what are they like and what clubs do they play for and bits and pieces. So, you know, that that's that's coming from, you know, New Zealand. So you want the Wallabies winning to create that interest and, um, build that awareness. I am a little bit of a top-down sort of, but um, uh, opinion. But I do believe that if, if the top's going well, um, things are going to be better below. I just, I think Dave Rennie and Co. The new staff, you know, that's the first question they've got to look at and go, well, is rugby the model that's going to help, or how we've got super model rugby structured in this country? Is that going? Is that going to help the Wallabies win? Um, and I, I think it's a good opportunity. Uh, I, I, I sort of look at what Australia had in Super Rugby when they were winning, uh, different to t- today. Mm. Um, but I still I, I see the Shoot Shield as a development level, an yeah. excellent development level. It's not never going to have the resources to be anything more than that. Um, I agree. You just it's just not the money out there. I mean, no. Um, so make it a really good development. I would actually keep the NRC, but have one Sydney, one New South Wales team, the Force, the Rebels, one team from Queensland, because mm. it all needs to be the aspirational pathway for clubs. Yep. But I just don't see an alternative to Super Rugby. Like the Wallabies need their best players playing together against the best competition in the world to make them better. I mean, it's and and there seems to be that balance anyway. You've got. Player, you've got Super Rugby players and Wallabies coming back to the Shoot Shield. Yep, um, that's way ahead where New Zealand is now, uh, and that's what makes the Shoot Shield so special in the rugby, uh, you know, global rugby perspective. You've got these international players playing amateur, well, semi-amateur, amateur rugby. It's it's amazing, um, but they've certainly got to really go as the current Super Rugby structure making our Wallabies good. Or, or the best in the world. And I think Ireland uh, have really streamlined um, that. And obviously New Zealand, the first question, that's the first question New Zealand, just whatever makes the All Blacks strong without without disregard, disregarding the grassroots because it's um, 
that's where it all starts. The first, you know, first time someone picks up a rugby ball or rugby experience, it's, um, you know, probably with their older brother or next door neighbour smashing them in the garden. But, you know, the first time to really grow that love is, is usually at your club or school. Um, so you can't, can't disregard that. But it certainly helps if the Wallabies are winning. It's can't yeah, it, commercially, yeah, um, and 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 awareness and on a global stage as well. Yeah. Um, so I think that's probably the the question that um, needs to be really looked at. Um, and then outside of that, obviously, yeah, massive care and attention to the grassroots, but don't change a shoot shield. Leave it as it is. Yeah, I agree. Do, do you think? Um, Without trying to sound like a cop out, playing the All Blacks with such regularity over such a long <laughs> period of, of their amazing success has been a detriment to Australian rugby. I mean, I mean that's a yardstick, right? They're just across the ditch, and they just so happen to be the greatest rugby nation on earth, and probably always will be. But it's uh, that's that's who the general public, rather than your diehard rugby fans, judge you before. You can't beat those All Blacks. That's, it's not that easy, is it? No, geographically, it doesn't help. The Wallabies, um, uh, in terms of the amount of times they're playing yeah. the best team in the world. Well, well, not the best team in the world at the moment, but um, well, go to Joburg. They're not. They're not. Time, they're, not but, they're, they're not easy to beat at the moment either, are they? The Springboks. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, but again, like co- competition, you know, it, it's about evolving, and yeah, and maybe this is the chance for the ARU and the Wallabies to go. What we've been putting out the last ten years, it isn't working. Yeah. Um, from a high performance point of view, so you know, uh, I I just wonder if four teams is too many for Australia. I, I know yeah. time has gone on, but the Wallabies were the best when there were only three teams, and um, man, they were good. They were. And the teams were good. Yeah. Uh, you know, competition internally, you probably got to look look at is is there is there enough. Um. And that's why I'd keep the NRC, like still have those pathways for, um, you know, provinces that, or states that aren't in, in super. So you can still go from club to NRC, get that exposure, yep. then hopefully step up into a super contract. Um, but I just, again, I, I, there, there's there's a few ways to do it, but I still think I've got to really look hard at what makes the Wallaby strong. And, yeah, playing the All Blacks, a lot is difficult, but it certainly keeps raising the bar for the players. Um, I know when you play Australian cricket, it's like a bigger moment. It's not, it's not as much, um, but it certainly brings out the best in the players. And it certainly you always the, the 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 players. And from when you read the media, learn more about themselves in the game when they have to. I mean, look at the recent Test series. You know, they got absolute hiding, but. They always, they always um, go away and they probably usually beat their next opponents, usually after playing Australia. So um, yeah, have to do it on such a frequent basis, but I still think it, it ultimately can bring out the best in you, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you had a little bit of time coaching um, with Wayne Smith at the Steelers in Japan. How, how was that experience? Yeah, so, uh, professional development is a big part of uh, just in New Zealand. It's huge from a coaching. Uh, it's, it's just everywhere. And the one thing I've missed here is the um, open community. And yeah, 
Yeah, I keep going um, on about that. I just keep hearing that from across the ditch. What? Why is that? Do you think? Is it just a a philosophy on making everyone as strong as they possibly can? I mean, over here it's more secrets and smoke and mirrors between coaches, but over there it's just this openness. Yeah, I th- it, it it helps. Um, I guess you know, rugby's a religion in New Zealand, and everyone's pretty smart around the game, you know, above average, you know, let's say above average, not all smart. Um, So there's obviously a lot of people to go to, uh, but also there is that culture of, of sharing. And um, I I think, you know, Wayne Smith, he he always talks about that. He talks about, you know, you, um, you you share idea and you get three back sort of thing that really sticks in my head. And he really lives by that. And I mean, even Auckland university, um, we would have former All Black captains, and that's Graham Henry's club as well, old yep. Ted. Yep. So he'd be there at a game having a beer, and you'd be able to chew through the notes in the game uh, after. And awesome. but you could basically call up any sort of super franchise or anybody, or someone would know somebody, given it's a village, um, and they would go, yeah, 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 let let them let them come over and and have a look. And but there, there's. I guess the other part of it, there's a lot of successful coaches in the country, yeah. and um, that really that's really attractive uh, to get around them. And I think throughout sort of my coaching development, I've been around uh, most a lot of all black trainings, a lot of different. Dave Rennie, when he was at the Chiefs, you could go down there and have a coffee and listen to him talk about setting up the Chiefs, and there'll be school coaches there, club coaches, and. Um, yeah, um, yeah. Scott Robinson. I remember doing a three-day thing with him when he was coming through. It's it's. What was he like, Scott there. Robinson? Oh, he's a legend. Yeah, straight away. Straight away. Yeah. Um, you go. This guy has got some. He's he's a he's a he's, he's unique. A yeah, character. He'd fit. He'd fit right into the northern beaches. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but uh, can't afford yeah, him at Manly. A, <laughs> I'm sure. I just keep. I'd keep messaging him once a year. He, he loves to get in. The, he loves to get in the water and surf and yeah. get bored. I'd, I'd keep messaging him. You might get him one day. It might be 20 years down the track, but you might get him. But he's out there, eh? He's, he's probably the future generation of coaches that mm. um, you know. If you look at the old sort of the Graham Henrys and Co. And um, he's probably. I thought, the, the, I thought the All Blacks might go that way this time around, rather than go the old guy, get a bit more progressive. But they didn't. They love. Uh, they love grooming the next coach somewhat, don't they? Yeah, yeah, and um, that was always going to be the interesting question: whether they stick to their um, uh, continuity policy, whether that's formalised or not. But um, also, I think, I think, yeah, Razor will be the All Blacks coach one day, and. Um, whatever he does next is just going to make him even a better All Black coach. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, he. Uh, I think he has that sort of awareness. But um, yeah, just on those. I mean, I've met some great people here as well in Australia. Actually, Phil Blake's been a really good um, uh, sounding board and listening to him. He's an he's a great guy in terms of sharing. Um, there are. There are the guys here around the club as well. And, again, that's a great thing, being part of Sydney Uni. And I was actually just messaging Dean Mum today because I had some questions. Um, and they're all willing to share and help. And I think Paulie touched on it. His experience at Sydney Uni is that 
the, the great thing about the Nick Phipps and Co, they come back with no egos. Yeah. And that's a real eye opener. And mm. it's given me a lot of confidence to coach those players and then go on and coach other players. And um, I, I just saw Patty Ryan has come in to do some extra fitness and stuff that, uh, to, it, it, that uh, you know, while there hasn't been the, um, the maybe the extent of professional development as from a coach to coach point, probably made up a whole lot more just from the pl- coach to player development with those types of guys being around. I remember being at one forward session early on, there was Dave Dennis, Will Skelton, Dean Mum, Tolu Latu, Paddy Ryan, Jeremy Tills, Tom King, Nick Phipps, Jake Gordon. And, you know, from a club development level, it's like, well, I've got to know my shit here. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. This right. guy's going to see right through me. So really, really, it's, you know, it's been a privilege to be in an environment where there's so many of those guys like that to, to, to learn from and develop from. So while I haven't come across 10 World Cup winning coaches here to, to talk to, I've certainly learned so much from those players and they've all been willing to share and encourage and, and contribute. So, you know, I've got a lot to be thankful for. Well, it's great to hear you've had such a um, terrific experience in the Shoot Shield and um, I'm sure a lot of people out there will be, be heartened to hear those comments and hopefully we, we do see you back in the in the competition. But um, I really uh, appreciate you taking the time to, to have a chat, um, offered some some great insights um, into the university program and to, and to yourself as well. So uh, Yeah, I just want to add, like, uh, I the great thing about the Shoot Shield or any club comp and I sort of say this when I'm recruit, recruiting a player that um, every club has its own special personality, and um, you know, from a when you're when you're sort of recruiting or choosing a club, you need to go do your homework mm-hmm. and find out which of those clubs really match you because you want to be at a club that you're going to be there for life. Yeah. Um, you you don't want to, you know, there are incentives, and you know, there are some good incentives at university. Um, there's good incentives at Eastwood and Randwick and everybody has their own way to sort of get guys over the top. But ultimately, in the end of day, you've got to go to a club that's going to really fit you from a personality point of view. Because, yeah, you want to, no matter what you're getting or you're not getting, you want to enjoy it. You want to meet lifelong mates and, um, you know, be that, you know, coach in 20 years' time, be that volunteer in your time. And, it's been just a real pleasure to go around such diverse clubs and um, see their supporters and obviously play against them and they have their own unique style and different grounds and stuff. So as I said at the start, I, I can't wait to come back and, you know, contribute again or buy a sausage and have a beer at uh, Manly Oval or whatever. Um, so it's, it's, it's been – and, and, you know, for, for, for other people, like the Shoot Shield – as I said, it doesn't have to be professionalism. For me personally, it's been an amazing development level, mm. an amazing development where I've been able to make mistakes but then learn off a Nick Phipps or um, or a Tolu Latu without it being in the media or anything like that. So yeah. I, I just really hope that um, they maximise those strengths and, and and keep it as it is. And, but, yeah, I've been really grateful to be part of it and, and can't wait to watch a lot of Shoot Shield from afar. 
Yeah, absolutely, mate. And I know these Shoot Shield fans will watch your career progress with, with eager eyes. And I'll hold you to that sausage sandwich at Manly Oval. I'll, I'll, oh, hold, sure. you, I'll hold you to five because uh, we'll we'll need the uh, the, the uh, game day takings, mate, with this COVID-19 season. With, uh, no I might fan. buy a box and set up on the bank. The, Beautiful. The, up, up on the hill. They'd love an ex-uni yeah. coach on the hill. They'd absolutely yeah, I'll be, I'll be up there. Mate, before you go, um, fast five. Uh, right. Right. Favourite team to play against in the Shoot Shield? Eastwood. Best place in Sydney? Manly. I'll just uh, – the best rugby place is Camperdown, but Manly's a great place. Shelly Beach, to be specific. What are you watching on Netflix right now? Oh, I just finished watching The Last Dance. Yeah. You enjoy that? Unbelievable. Terrific, wasn't it? Mondays won't be the same. Okay, biggest prospect at uni, player-wise? Um, it's easy to say Angus Bell, the prop. Yeah, he's he's got a lot of he's got a long way to go, uh, but it's, uh, um, mate, it's it's a it's it's a, it's a tough one. But um, you know, Angus Bell certainly certainly sticks out. I reckon I rate Josh Kimeney a lot as well. And um, yeah, even even the Harry Johnson Holmes and stuff. There's been some amazing stuff from those guys. But yeah, I'd have to say Angus Bell, and then a and then a Josh Kimeney, very close second, tied with a lot of other guys. Who are Uni beating in the 2020 Grand Final? Four. Take a stab. Yeah, um, Ringer again. Don't do that. I cannot handle four Ringer Grand Finals. A manly fan, mate. Oh, man, no. has their team changed that much? No, Those... that's the thing. Well, Angus is retired, thank God. Um, but uh, no, they'll probably be pretty strong. They probably won't be far away, that's for sure. Yeah, Rob, they've certainly got a they've yep. got a recipe to get there. They do, mate. Really appreciate that. Thanks for spending time. No, thank you.